Hey, good morning, Shades Mountain. Uh, today we are getting ready to take a look in uh, the Bible in Romans chapter 8. And so if you've got your Bibles, I'd like for you to turn to Romans chapter 8, and we'll be starting in the fifth verse. Now, you have a pew Bible in front of you, and I didn't write down the page. Is it 944? Anybody help me? I said it last week. Romans chapter 8. Somebody look in that Bible and tell me what page number that is. 944, I was correct. Hey, on to the bonus round. So, uh, page number 944. So if you've got a pew Bible in front of you, you can just open up to 944, and uh, we will be reading uh, from a few verses in Romans 8. We're taking a number of weeks to do a series on this one chapter, one of the greatest chapters in all of the Bible, and it talks about the triumph of what it means to be a believer in Jesus Christ. And it is a chapter that is filled with contrast, one thing against the other. Last week, we looked at a contrast between condemnation and liberation. Condemnation, that because of our sins, that we were condemned to die an eternal death and to be separated from God forever. However, Jesus Christ came from heaven to earth, lived a sinless, perfect life, died on the cross, was raised from the dead, conquering sin and death, and he took us from condemnation to liberation. And with liberation, he has freed us up. He's been able to give us the ability through the Holy Spirit to no longer to be tied to the bondage and the penalty of sin. So we've moved from condemnation to liberation. And so today we will look at another contrast, and it's a contrast of moving from the flesh to the Spirit. And so follow with me, Romans chapter 8, starting in the fifth verse. Romans 8, verse 5. He says, For those who are, who live, excuse me, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Now, this passage points out a truth, and that is there's really only two kinds of people. Those that are Christ's followers and those that are not. Those that are saved and those that are not saved. Those that have been born just once and those that have been born twice. What we mean by that is Jesus says you must be born again. Everybody is born of water. Everyone is born of physical life. 
but only those who receive Christ get a second birth. And that is that new birth and the fact that you are born through the spirit. And so this is where everybody falls into. There's no middle of the road, either with Christ or against him, either a follower of Christ or not a follower of Christ. And so you can read this passage and you can see that it separates those in the flesh and those in the spirit. Hey, if you have the flesh, you're dead. If you have the spirit, you have life. And that is a true interpretation of this passage. But there are also some commentators who, as they take a look at that passage, say, yes, that is true, but you can also see another meaning on it. And what it means is uh, those that are in the flesh is what we would call a carnal Christian. It would be one who they receive Christ as Savior, but they're not living for him. They're living more into the sinful nature. And then on the other hand, you got those that are living according to the Spirit, which would be Spirit-led Christians. And so this morning, as we look at flesh and spirit, that's the direction that I want us to go. I want us to look at this passage from that particular perspective on there and to show the contrast to the believers who are walking away from the things that God has taught them versus the believers that are walking according to the spirit. So you say, where do you kind of get this from? Well, Paul, writing the book of Romans, the first six chapters, he talks, and we just talked a little bit about that, talked about that we're sin, uh, we're sinners separated from God, uh, God demonstrated his love, sent Christ. And then you get to chapter seven, he's talking about the law and the spirit, but look what he says at the end of chapter seven. Now, I will put it up on the screen, and it's the paraphrase, the message, and this is a paraphrase as to what Paul is saying. And as we read these words, I want you to read those same words and say, hey, I think that sounds like my life. Are you ready? Go. It happens so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands, but it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. Parts of me covertly rebel, and just when I least expect it, they take charge. I've tried everything and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? The answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions, where I want to serve God with all my heart and mind, but I am pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. Paul wrote this as a, as a Christian, as a believer. And I know I want to follow the law of God, but there's something that pulls me to do something totally different. And then you enter into Romans chapter eight and triumphantly it says, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. And we say, hallelujah, praise the Lord. There is no condemnation, but there's still a war going on. There's still a battle between the two natures. There's that battle between my human egocentric sinful nature and the battle of, this, of the new nature that the Holy Spirit has placed in my heart. And there's this war that's going on. And Paul is hearing the competing voices as each one says, you are to do this, and the other one says, you're to do this. And there's this battle going on. This past week, Janice and I took a week of vacation and we went to the beach and, uh, and yesterday it was time to drive back home. And so as we're getting ready to drive back home, we did what every person does. You put it in your GPS as to how to get back home, just to make sure you remember the roads and the turns you're supposed to take. 
So there was a GPS in the car, but then there's also a GPS on her phone. And so we're just kind of putting them in at the same time. And boom, they both came up. But one of them said it was going to take longer to get there than the other one did. One of them had more miles. One of them had less miles. We said, hold it. So they're taking us two different ways. So we just started driving. And then Janice says, you want to leave them both up? I said, yeah, let's just see what they are. Now, both of them are female voices. Just want to let you know that uh, on there. And so as we're driving, uh, all of a sudden, I've got one voice that says, you know, prepare to turn left. Another voice says, prepare to turn left. Hey, that's great. We're doing good. Until we got a little further down the road. And then one voice says, in the next mile, you'll take a left. The other one is saying, continue straight for another 20 miles. Hmm. We started getting closer. And then all of a sudden, it says, turn left. We looked at her, and she said, let's go straight. Well, so we went the straight one. Well, I'll tell you what. The other one wasn't giving up. At two-tenths of a mile, you need to make a U-turn. I said, hey, I'm following this one over here. Then we went a little bit further. And 1.2 miles, take a left. I said, this one says keep going 20 miles over here. So I've got a GPS in my car. I've got a GPS on my phone. I've got my wife over here. And then she's got an Apple Watch, and it dings every time I'm supposed to make a turn. I'm getting getting inundated with voices giving me all this information. And I just thought about this passage as, as Paul's getting these, the, as the voices of the flesh and the voices of the Spirit of God. And just so you'll know in this illustration, Janus was the Spirit of God uh, that was over here. Amen. And, and these competing voices of GPS and the phone and the car. But it was like life. I've got two different people telling me there's two different things that I'm supposed to do. And, and it's, it's where we're being pulled as believers. Could be flesh, could be spirit. Which one are we going to follow? So let me show you. The old life is that a life that is lived according to the flesh. And so for the very first point, let's just write this down. This is a life that is lived according to the flesh. Now, you, you pick this up in verses 5 and 6. Where in verse 5 it says, for those who live according to the flesh, they set their minds on the things of the flesh. You set your minds on the things of the flesh. That means that when a carnal Christian sets their minds on, they set their minds on things that appeal to their sinful nature. And, uh, and, and they begin to set their mind, their convictions, their ambitions, the things that engross you, the things that take your time, the things that grab at you. These are the things you set your mind. That's a pretty solid phrase. You set your mind on this. And yes, the things of God are this, but I'm setting my mind on these ambitions and these things that I would want to do and these attitudes and these actions that come more from my sinful nature. They're opposite from what God's word says. It's a life that's lived according to the flesh. It's the old life. And so... It's saying that I'm letting the flesh steer the course of my life. Well, if you do that, what will happen? He tells you three things here that'll happen. Number one is death. And I'm calling this death, loss of influence for the kingdom of God. Death, loss of influence for the kingdom of God. Now, naturally, when you read that first time and it says, if you go the ways of the flesh, it's death, if you're looking at save loss, yes, you die for eternity. But if you're looking at it from a carnal Christian standpoint, he says that if you choose to go the way of the flesh, it is death. 
And what that means, it results in living on a spiritual level that is lower than what God has designed for you. When you make a decision to become a part of God's family, God has a level he'd love for you to be at a spiritual level. But when you begin to live to the flesh, you begin to set it down further and further. And you live on a lower level than he has designed for you. And now when you think about that, when you think about living to the flesh and and making mistakes, you think about some of the big things. Maybe there's marital infidelity. Maybe there was embezzlement. Maybe there was a verbal or physical abuse. and, And those are terrible things. But But for many here, you say, well, I would never enter into that realm, but yet you would enter into the realm of of just those normal following the ways of the flesh. Things such as anger, bitterness, lying, drunkenness, profanity, lewd humor, dirty jokes, jealousy, sensuality. These things that you can just slide over here in the life of the flesh and begin to set your minds towards this. And when you do, there is a death that takes place. There is a loss that takes place. It is a loss of a platform to be used by God. It is the loss of an opportunity to be used by God. It's the loss of influence of advancing the kingdom of God. Because as you go to choose to live in the flesh, this sphere of influence in which God has placed you, all of a sudden, you have forfeited that. Because no longer can you be the guy that's gonna stand up and give a Christian witness to the team because of the lifestyle that you're choosing to live. No longer can you be the person that steps up in the office because of the lifestyle that you have been living And even at times in your own family, you lose that platform, that influence within your own family because you've chosen to live this way. Because you're wearing the badge that says I'm a Christian, but you're living the life as if I'm living according to the flesh. And when you do that, he says there is death, there is a loss, there's a loss of influence for the kingdom of God. Now, I remember when I was growing up in church, I was growing up in that after I'd moved away, they, they built a recreation center, kind of like our CLC. And uh, somebody came up with a good idea that to inaugurate it, why don't we do a basketball game, deacons versus staff? As I tell you this story, they've never done that again. And let me just explain. It was like deacons versus staff. And somebody explained this to me. They told me the story and how it worked out. And uh, there was a deacon, and I knew him well. And he was a Sunday school teacher. Had a tad bit of an anger problem. And this is a deacon staff basketball game. Everybody's sitting in the stands. People are cheering. They're all happy. Yeah, we're celebrating, serving God through exercise. Yeah, they were all happy. This guy gets teed up twice. A technical. In the deacon staff game, he got teed up twice on the second. He took the basketball, slammed it against the wall, and stormed off the court. Well, that was a great, great picture. So, so what does that mean? What, what happened right there? There was a loss. There was a loss of influence. There was a loss of a platform. There was a loss of an opportunity to be able to make a stand for Christ, not just there, but on down the road. When we choose to live a life according to the flesh... There will be a loss. There will be a death. But look what he says, second law. Second of all, he says in verse seven. In verse seven, he says, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile 
to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. It is hostile to God. It is at enmity with God. When you choose to be a friend of the world's system of values, then you have chosen to be an enemy of God. By allowing your mind to be set on the things of the flesh, you have set up a condition in your life which is one of hostility to the work of the Lord that he wants to do in your life. You are at enmity with God. Because when God has saved you, he didn't save you just to put you to the side. He saved you for you to do a great work for him. But when you sit there and say, no, I think I'm going to go with the values of the world over here, then all of a sudden God's looking over here and saying, well, you're in hostility to me. You're in enmity to me. There are things that I want to see done for the kingdom of God, but you're heading in a different direction and you're not helping this thing. You're hurting this thing and it thwarts the progress of the gospel. Newer Christians get disillusioned when they see the more mature believers morally fall or compromise their faith or to say one thing and do another. And you get these new believers who look at you and say, well, hold it, I, I thought that we were supposed to be different, but yet you, you've been a Christian longer than I have, but you're living this way? And they get disillusioned. You know, I have talked to many that when someone in some type of leadership position does something that is morally wrong, then it just, it's just this domino effect of where people's lives are crushed and they're disillusioned and, and there's a question mark as to, is this really real? Now, I know our comeback is they're supposed to put their faith in God and not in individuals. I fully understand that. But our responsibility is to live out this life according to the Spirit. And when we don't, there are consequences. And when I set my mind on the flesh, it makes it harder for me to share my faith. It makes it harder for me to witness to both seekers and cynics because I'm wrapped up in stuff over here that doesn't even match up with the words I'm getting ready to say. So when I decide to live according to the flesh, it is hostility to God and it sets back the movement of the gospel because God was wanting to use me to be able to influence this group over here, but because I'm in hostility to him, it is thwarting the movement of the gospel. Number three, this is pretty straightforward. Verse eight says this. Verse eight says, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Setting our minds on the flesh, we cannot do anything that pleases God. I read a quote that said, those who are living to please themselves cannot also please God. If you're living just to please yourself, then you cannot please God. We cannot know the mind of Christ if we are engulfed in sin and we're living according to the flesh. And so on that point, I said it hinders spiritual discernment. Hinders spiritual discernment. When I'm trying to make a decision in life as to what I'm supposed to do, and I say, well, you need to pray about it. And if I'm getting ready to seek God's face, to say, what am I supposed to do in this situation? But yet my life is wrapped up in living in the values of the flesh and of the world, then it is going to greatly hinder my spiritual discernment. And when other people come to me or come to you and they say, hey, I'm looking for some advice. I need some direction. I'm trying to make a decision about this relationship, this career, this next step I make. And if I've got my life over here in the values of the world and in the flesh, it is going to hinder my spiritual discernment as to what I can share with them and how accurate can I be. It's almost like a cataract. 
When a person gets a cataract in their eye, when it begins, it doesn't blind them. What it does is it begins to make things sort of hazy. You don't see things very clear. And then at times it can grow and get worse and worse. But there's just that haziness. And when we live in the flesh, it's like that film over our eyes and we don't see things as clearly as we used to. And it's very difficult for me to discern what God wants me to do. And it's really difficult for me to give you any type of direction or guidance with spiritual discernment. That's life living according to the flesh. So Paul comes back and he says, life living according to the flesh Results in death, hostility, and you cannot please God. And then he says, let me just say about life lived according to the Spirit. And so write this down. A life lived according to the Spirit. And he says again in verses 5 and 6, he starts out. He says, for those who live according to the flesh, their minds set their minds on things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, they set their minds on the things of the Spirit. And to set your mind on the Spirit is life and peace. When it says set your mind on the spirit, it's a lifestyle of one that is living according to the spirit. It means your mind is oriented to the things of the spirit. You spend your time and your energy on the things that glorify Christ and help form Christ in you. It is what steers your life, your interest, your attention, everything is to say, I want to be able to glorify Christ. I want to imitate Christ with my life. And that is my driving passion. Now where that takes me, may take me to go out for a ball team, may take me to to do dance, it may take me to be in a career that's in business, may take me to be a lawyer, a doctor, may take me to, to pick up a craft. I mean, God has different directions for all of us. However, if my underlying desire is to bring honor and glory to him, it means I want to live a life according to the spirit. And that is what steers my life. And the apostle Paul in these few verses says, when that happens, This is what will happen. Number one, you experience life and peace. A life that is lived according to the Spirit experiences life and peace. We have eternal life, yes, but we have a life that is fulfilling and abundant and is completely in opposition to the life of the flesh. And we also have a peace, a peace with God and a peace with others. The general statement, general statement, if you live your life according to the Spirit, it will be a triumphant life. It'd be a triumphant life that you live that will be abundant and fulfilling and a life of peace. You can have peace with God and you can have peace with others. So then he begins to give you some more details. Point number two is this, receives the Holy Spirit upon conversion. A life lived according to the Spirit is one that you receive the Holy Spirit upon conversion. Look what he says in verse nine. Verse nine says this, you however are not in the flesh but in the spirit. If in fact the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Uh, You need to circle that verse in scripture. Sometimes people will tell you, you accept Jesus, and then later on you do something special, you can get the Holy Spirit. Not at all. As soon as you receive Christ, one of the benefits of becoming a follower of Christ is instantaneously he puts his Holy Spirit inside of you and inside of me. Does that make sense? So what happens is at the moment of conversion, we receive Christ, we receive his Holy Spirit. And when his Holy Spirit comes into us, there's two things that we need to know in this. Number one, it seals your salvation. It seals your salvation. 
So if you ever sit there and think, can I be saved and, and, and lose my salvation? How do I know if I'm still saved? When you receive Christ, Holy Spirit comes in your heart. He said it seals your salvation. Ephesians chapter one, verses 13 and 14. Just put that in parentheses around there. Paul says, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. What does that mean? It is the guarantee that, we have, that we've received Christ. So when I receive Christ, I receive his Holy Spirit. It seals that salvation. But the second thing is it begins an inner transformation. It begins an inner transformation. Once the Holy Spirit comes into my life, it begins this inner transformation. If you'll notice in verse nine, it says that the Holy Spirit dwells in your life. He didn't say the Holy Spirit happens to drop by one day in your life. He dwells in your life. That word dwell, written in the Greek language, the word dwell also comes from the word that means home. Home. It's like he sets up home in your life. He takes residence in your life. And when the Holy Spirit takes residence in your life, he's setting down some deep roots. And there's a nearness you have to him. There's an influence that he has in your life. And he begins the transformation of your heart and begins the transformation of your life. Now, we're talking about living life according to the Spirit. When you live life according to the Spirit means that you are wanting to let the course of your life do the things that the Holy Spirit wants you to do. And when you begin to do that, he begins to do that inner transformation. Now, if you want to go the other direction, even though you've got the Holy Spirit in your life, and say, no, I don't want to do that stuff. I'm going to stay over here in the life of the flesh. I want to do all the stuff I used to do. I want to just connect myself to these sinful habits and to the values of the world. It's very difficult for the Holy Spirit to do his transforming work when we're over here doing everything we can to negate it. But listen, when you lock up in your visions the same as the Holy Spirit, and you're saying, I want to live my life according to the Spirit, that is when that inner transformation really starts happening. And then God begins to do new things in your life and exciting things so you can claim that part of the verse that says it's an abundant life and a life full of peace, okay? Number three, the person who lives life according to the Spirit has a dying body, but an invigorated living spirit, all right? A dying body, but an invigorated living spirit. Don't you love that word, invigorated? We'll leave that up for a few moments uh, in case you need a spell check as you're writing it. Uh, Has a body, a dying body, but invigorated living spirit. In verse 10, he says, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead, Listen, as soon as we're born, our clock starts ticking. As soon as we're born, our clock starts ticking. This is a temporal life. And one thing we know, that before Jesus comes, every one of us will die. This life will be over. And once we start this journey, it just starts ticking. And because our bodies have sin, we will be dead physically. That's the effects of sin. And so he says, hey, even if you receive Christ, your body is still going to be dying. However, you have the spirit 
of life that is within you because of the righteousness. You have been made alive due to the righteousness of Christ. And God's desire is that we would begin to live the life of eternity now. Live the life of eternity now. So many people will say, well, you know, I'll just kind of get through here. And then when I get to heaven, I'll be this wonderful eternal life. Listen, the moment you receive Christ as Savior, eternal life began. And let's just start living it now. Let's start living that God-ordained life right now. It is God's life in me that really wants to be lived forever. So let's begin to let him have his way now. And you know, as I, and I looked at this, at this verse of scripture, and he talks about, even though our bodies are dead, the, the spirit is life because of righteousness. And I thought about so many testimonies I've read, and, and you probably have too, of people who are going through difficult medical situations. I mean, just walking down some really hard roads. And it's so encouraging whenever you'd hear them talk about their faith in God and how they've been strengthened by, by the Lord through this. And they're still, they're sharing their faith with everybody that comes around. And they're just living through this incredible uh, brightness of their smile and, and being a witness for Christ. Even though they could speak more clearly than any of us that my body is dying, but yet I am invigorated by the spirit of life. We are to live that eternal life now and all the way until we step into heaven. The fourth that he says about someone who lives according to the spirit, he has a body that will one day be resurrected. He has a body that will one day be resurrected. In verse 11, look what he says. In verse 11, it says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life in your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you. The Christian's physical body will die, but one day there will be this resurrected body that Jesus will give us. And he said, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the same spirit that's gonna give us a resurrected body. The same father, the almighty God, who, who through his power took his son, who was, who was uh, from the Roman Empire, they wanted him to stay dead. From Satan, all of his power, they wanted him to stay dead. But God almighty pushed those aside, raised his son from the dead. And that same power is what is in our lives. And it's that same power that one day, after Jesus comes back, he will give us our resurrected bodies. And he says, you can bank on it because it's the same power that raised him from the dead. It's the same power that will give us that resurrected body. And last of all, a life that's lived according to the spirit is obligated to live a righteous life. Is obligated to live a righteous life. Paul wraps up this section in verses 12 and 13. And he says, so then brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. We are not debtors to the flesh. We have no obligations to the flesh, but we do have obligations to God. We have obligations to God who showed his love for us as he went to the depths of Calvary and went to the heights of the resurrection so that you and me could experience salvation and become a part of his family. 
And what he does, he furnishes us with a power that will make it possible for us to live a life of victory. And because he has saved us, we in turn should live for him. I cannot give you a better illustration than what you just heard on baptism. Those four Chinese who stood, who gave their testimony, in each one of their testimonies, did you see the common thread? The common thread was that uh, some of them I had heard about Christianity. For others, I had not heard anything about Christianity. But then the common thread that came back was when I met some of the members of this church and part of the Chinese community who were believers and Dr. and Mrs. Wong and others, and I saw the peace and the love and the joy that they had, that is when it made me stop and listen because it was real. Now, there are four people who are in God's family who will spend eternity with God in heaven because a group of believers took seriously what Paul has said, and that is to live a life according to the Spirit. Amen? And that is such a strong testimony for you and me when we begin to think about, do I want to head over here to the flesh or I want to live according to the Spirit? If I headed towards the flesh, I will lose those opportunities. I will lose that platform. I will lose that influence. But if I live according to the Spirit, think how God could use me and God could use you to see more people come to know Christ as Savior. We must live this life that God has given us through the power of the Holy Spirit. So cultivate a Spirit-filled disposition of heart and mind. Fill your minds with the things of God and then you live this new life according to the Spirit of God. Let me ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. Father, we are, we are thankful, we're humbled, and we're convicted as we look in your word. This is such a triumphant chapter to see how your son has overcome death and sin and given us the opportunity to, to be a part of your family. But yet, Lord, we know that there are choices before us and that we can either hear the voices that send us towards the flesh or there can be voices that send us towards living according to the Spirit. And so, Lord, I, I pray for each person here that as they take an inventory of their life, that you will show them very clearly what direction they're going. What is the course that is being steered? Is it being steered according to the flesh or is it being steered according to the Spirit? There are some people here that are at a crossroads in their life and that crossroads will determine as to whether they go to the flesh or go to the Spirit. And the decision that they make could have lasting consequences. So I pray today that your Holy Spirit, the one that guides and convicts us, speaks to everyone's heart, but especially to those, Lord, that are at that crossroads, that need to hear a fresh word from you, that need to be encouraged to live life according to the Spirit. And may all of us design our lives in such a way that we live our lives according to the Spirit, putting aside the things of the flesh. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.